What's up, everybody? Before we get the episode started this week, I wanted to tell everybody that my band Dancing with Ghosts, which comprises uh, me and me. Yes, the voice that sometimes is heard on the podcast, Stephanie. Uh, our band is going to be doing a live stream on our Facebook on Saturday, August, August 29th. August 29th. Uh, you can go and like our Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash Dancing with Ghosts official. Like I said, it's going to be a live stream. We're going to be playing acoustic songs, doing a Q&A. So if any of the listeners you want to ask us any podcast-related questions or mystery questions or whatever the hell, uh, go on over to Dancing with Ghosts Facebook page, like the page, check out the live stream. And yes, this is going to be a Stephanie episode. Sorry, guys. No one would blame you for tuning off right now. How dare you? So here we go. I'm sorry, guys. Would you like me to talk about my toe to make you feel more comfortable? I said, here we go. I was ready. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 198 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, August 27th, 2020. As you heard from the beginning of the podcast, Mike is not here because of scheduling conflicts, so instead we have the uh, the scab, we have, <laughs> How dare you? We have Stephanie. Why, 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 do, why does this have to be a runner-up situation? Everybody should just be happy that, you know, I'm not here all the time. She she even made her own or, or her, a cartoon was made for her and she inserted it into the the podcast fan group. I thought it was cute and charming. I didn't ask for this to be made and I didn't ask to be here. So you think about that. Yeah, well. But I like doing it. So it's she, all good. She's doing the podcast under duress. It's fine. It needed to get done. I am um, feeling threatened as I sit here. Yeah, I mean, anytime Stephanie comes over, you know, because unlike Mike, where he's like uh, literally thousands of miles away, Stephanie is like within smacking distance <laughs> right now. So it's it's very easy to, um, you know, take out my frustrations. When I, no, that doesn't happen. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm in I'm, danger. I'm just joking. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Everything's fun, right? Um, so yeah, how, how are you doing, Stephanie? How has your week been? <laughs> That's what I normally ask Mike, but I'm going to ask you, how are you? Yeah. So a brief synopsis um, of of me lately consists of, you know, I've been out of DJ work from COVID and then I got a, a part-time retail job to offset that so I wouldn't have to get the, the government titty money, as you like to call it. And um, Sweet, I'm, sweet titty money. Yeah, I just got let go from the job that I took to offset that because I was hired seasonally. So... Everything is going so swell, and I'm not under any kind of um, financial duress or anything like that. Everything's normal and fine. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. But I am really, really stoked about the stuff that we've been doing. It's pretty much the only thing I care about. So we've been working on the new album, and um, it's going to be really killer. I know, I'm stoked. I know Dancing with Ghosts is kind of a thing I just push on you guys or whatever, but uh, these these new songs are, are very exciting, and uh, it's kind of fun doing a new album of a, a complete blank slate, because for the past, I feel like, three years, I've been kind of like hitting you guys with kind of stuff that has already existed in one form or another, or, you know, one new song here, one new song there, but this is going to be a whole new album full of new songs, so it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, so... Me and Stephanie are definitely the uh, uh, the 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 
kids who are falling through the cracks as the non-essential workers. We are non-essential as fuck, mm-hmm. and uh, ain't nobody rushing to uh, give us our our jobs back. No, but I've been turned down for unemployment a few times uh, during this crisis. In addition to the fact that I literally had COVID and was out of my part-time job from yeah. having COVID. Yeah, me and Stephanie got <laughs> COVID at the same time. I've talked about on here already how I, I did have COVID and how I felt and what my symptoms were and all that jazz. And in, in, in her and I got it at the same time for the same event. We were doing a live stream kind of party at our house and some girl came who had it and then kind of gave it to like half the people there got it and then the other half didn't like that's so such so, so I think weird it just has about to do with who she was closer to yeah i don't know uh, well one yeah i, I don't, her I, I don't... i'm a huggy person so that was my mistake well whatever i don't know anyway um so yeah this week we are going to be talking about the new unsolved mystery show on netflix it was kind of a request from morgan morgan from canada she's still alive she's still listening i know i haven't dropped her name in a while but she's still here um don't know why she still listens i'm glad (laughs) she does but i mean honestly like to make it through almost 200 episodes god knows how many hours of me and mike's just ramblings stupidity going off topic I feel like she really should get a fucking award or a tolerance ribbon of some kind. Um, but this is the final episode of the new Unsolved Mysteries show. I felt like it was the... Um, I really did feel like it was one of the strongest. So was it only slated for X amount of stuff and that's it? Or is it possible to be reinstated? No, they're they're already coming out with a new season. Okay. O- as October 31st with Halloween, oh, I think. Very appropriate. Yeah, so... Um, I have mixed feelings on the new ones, but I've only seen two segments. But this one was definitely stronger than the first one. So, yeah, so what you being... I mean, I know you like the show Unsolved Mysteries, yes, I obviously, but I, you're not... I Maybe you're... I don't have Stack tattooed on me, but it actually did come up in conversation the first time we hung out because I, I Unsolved Mysteries was a big part of my childhood. Like, I remember it would come on... Right as I was going the fuck to sleep, and my house was this long, ha- long house, like long rectangular box, and my room was at the very front of the house, and the living room was in the very back of the house, and I could, I'd about be, you know, closing my eyes, about to pass out, and um, I'd hear do 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 do, and my eyes would fly open. I was like, oh shit. I am far away from my family. I live in a seedy neighborhood with burglar bars on my doors and windows. Why were you going to sleep with just the the TV on in the distance? Oh, because I wasn't allowed to stay up past my bedtime. So So I wanted to watch it, but it was one of those, like, I was supposed to be in bed. I was regimented. Oh, so they would stay up and watch it. Oh, I got you. So I only got to really, like, watch it. Um, Sometimes I didn't get to watch it as much as I wanted. But I would find, I would find, you know, they would, it's not like that was the only time that it was ever aired, as you know, like there was all sorts of weird viewings back yeah, then. Yeah, so having seen the old ones as a reference point, how do you feel about the new show in general? Um, this, okay, so it, I feel like it lost its creep factor, for one thing. Well, yeah, like it's given. It's like, okay, so the episode that we watched today was a drastic improvement. I watched the first episode about aliens and stuff, and I was like, dude, this is a bunch of... The first episode wasn't aliens. It was that Ray Ramirez guy who jumped through the uh, parking garage roof or whatever. Okay. The the one I watched was more alien-centric. 
But regardless, uh, well, you, was that with me or did you watch no, that one by yourself? I watched yourself? that by myself. Oh, you literally saw the worst. You literally yes. saw the worst episode of the <laughs> yeah, series. Yeah, and so that was you, the only other one I had watched of the new ones. Oh God! Besides, oh this. God! And it was so. It was just. It took so long. Like it was like you know like a very long chunk of the time for them to explain nothing. For them to tell you nothing, but they talked an awful lot. And I was like, dude, am I high right now? Like, I don't do drugs, but I feel like I am because this is taking so long to say nothing. I'm not hooked, nothing. And then this episode, at least um, the one that we're about to cover, it at least grabbed my attention, which was great. But, it, it you know, it was good storytelling, I guess, but it still doesn't have the... It has a theme song, and then after that, it's like there's no creep. At no point was I getting chills. At no point was I in suspense. I feel like I, it was a better episode, but at any point I could have turned it off and probably been all right with the, that. I would say the first episode of the new series and this final episode are easily the two strongest ones, but they all the, all the episodes in the new series suffer from a lack of reenactments. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can... I mean, God, they used to do those like so well back in the day. Uh, um, sometimes well. Yeah, well, I, I would say most of the t- like, honestly, a lot of the times I would get so caught up in the reenactment that like I would suspend yes. my disbelief and I was I would think that I was watching like what I mean, what well, did actually happen. But it, it, you almost felt like you were seeing like handheld footage of, of the actual event, you know, yeah. and, and, and and that was like kind of critical. And then you'd have stat Bob Stack's voice just narrating over everything and you know obviously he's not there i'm not gonna beat that dead horse because yes robert stack made the show what you know what it was and you know he's not there but um just just relying on the strength of the people being interviewed to move the show along it it, i feel like that's foolhardy because not all of these people are good storytellers themselves right that's the thing you're relying on unprofessional you know speakers to that's fine if you intersperse them amongst a professional narrator to have like the average person or the person who went through the thing you know to to speak and give their commentary but when you're just solely relying on like you know boring bland sheriffs telling their very um clinical side of the, their sterilized side of things and the way that cops have to talk Mm -hmm. and then you got these you know either country bumpkins or average Joes being like, well, I mean, it was crazy because we saw it in the sky and it was nutty. And then you got, then <laughs> like, you got the sheriff. Honestly, who, even if they would have had somebody like you narrating, because like, you know, I've watched a lot of the, the docu-series that you, the little ones that you make on YouTube, even you have better compositional, you know, shit to offer. And I know they could have found somebody like that to, to put that narrative, it needs that narrative to, to, to drive it forward and to give those creeps or chills, you know? I think the, the, the fork in the road that they came to with the host question is, we choose a host. If we choose a host, one of two things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. People are A going to just incessantly bitch that this host isn't Robert Stack and how dare they and fuck this new guy. As they saw, as we saw with the Farina thing, I mean, everyone just generally doesn't, unless you grew up only knowing about the Farina one, which I have, which I have encountered some people who that was the case, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Then I went and watched the Robert Stack one, and so much better, and it's like, "Holy shit!" 
you were eating microwaved mashed potatoes this whole time, and someone just made you, made you some no, homemade ones. Those were microwave powdered mashed potatoes. Yes. Uh, so either that would have happened had they chosen a host, he would have been hated, or there is this off chance that if they chose the right guy, everyone would have been like, yeah, you know, the the, the new host is good, and... I'm glad they decided to go with the host because, you know, it really helps. But the chances that of that... requires very open-minded The chances people. of that scenario happening were w- would have been very small. Although, I really do feel like they, they should have chose Keith Morris, uh, Morrison, Morrison, from um, the uh, for, 48... It, um, There's 48? 48 hours, was it? The 48 hours on uh, Investigation oh, yeah. Discovery Channel. You, the Keith Morris was this the old creepy guy who was like, and then... We we learned. I I don't know. I feel like even if they would have picked a different host each episode, that no, would I, no. I would have been all right with. You can't that. do. Yeah, see, unsolved mystery fa- fans are huge on nostalgia, so you you want to have the same thing all the time, so you can like kind of grow around it. I think having a new host every time would have been really weird. So that was their that was that fork in the road, or they could have gone which with the path which they did go with, where there's no host. And you have some mild bitching that will, would be nice if there was a host to move the story along. But you got all those Robert Stack fans who are like, okay, good. You know, no host at all. Better than uh, having a host who's not Robert Stack. So I think that was kind of, but, you know. It lost the heart. Yeah, my, my, my you know, kind of overall comment on it. The show's too crisp now. Yeah. It's too crisp. Crispy. And I know we've already talked about the foibles of the new Unsolved Mysteries show, but whenever we're bringing up a case from the new show, I have to like, I have to kind of like preface it with talking about how different the new show is from the old show. So it's not that I'm trying to beat a dead horse here with bitching about how the new show is and blah, 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 but I, you know. Like Liz from the Perhaps It's You podcast, we were talking the other night on Facebook, and she's like, um, are you looking forward to the new episodes that are coming out? And my response was, a big fat, I guess. Because, I mean, that's really kind of how I feel about the new show. It's like, oh, are you looking forward to the new episodes? I guess. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's okay, but it's not great. It's it, just like, it feels all right. Like, right now, it feels like a show that would have existed in the same universe as Unsolved <clears throat> Mysteries, but to put that title on there, I just don't feel as accurate because it does not have the same feel or the same heart. I, you know, like, I'm not afraid to sit up late at night and watch this, you know, whereas, like, I don't know that I that I feel that way about watching the old ones at night. I'm like, oh, I'm getting creeped out, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's it's all right for what it is, but it's not the same. The old Unsolved Mysteries is like if your uncle built a crazy, like, spooky fun house in your basement <laughs> with a lot of fog machines and, you know, took you through and told you the story of some murder while taking you through a spooky, you know, kind of quirky fun house with lots of fog. The new Unsolved Mysteries is like your stepmom bringing you into the kitchen in the morning and there's like, it's dreary and she's smoking a cigarette and she's like, let me tell you the story of this scary mystery. (laughs) I I feel like, yeah, the first one is more almost multi-sensory because you've got the, the creepy music, 
cues. You've got the, the storytelling chills. You've got the way that they laid it out with some re- you know some reenactment and some some um, you know interviews and things like that to to spice it up or to move it along. Whereas I, I think yeah, what you were saying is very accurate. It's like here, come it's, in here, kid. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I know it's uh, you know, Your Uncle Jerry. He didn't make it home last night. Yeah, I'm gonna light up a cigarette and tell you this story. This is how it happened. Yeah, I know it's kind of dreary in here, but you know, that's that's the tone yes. that every episode has. It's like everyone being interviewed has this like harsh light on their face. It's casting the shadows to make them look a hundred years old, and they're, they're they, they look like they haven't slept yeah. for a few days. Like every single like, worst person interviewed. Do and, they chain them up like for a few days before they interview them? Don't allow them to have food. They sunshine. all look like they like just got done, you know, with their morning coffee, and they're like, so you know, you know, whatever. Um, <coughs> sorry. Speaking of hungover, I'm slightly hungover myself. And I have uh, coffee kind of coursing through my veins, but it's like kind of on the tail end. So I just feel kind of jittery and my 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 sensory, uh, you know, system is is uh, just shooting on all kinds of interesting notes right now. Um, so, so you know, but I feel like that's when I do my best work. Before we go into actually talking about this uh, episode, though, I do want to tell you and I should have mentioned this sooner, but I'm super, super excited that I finally have a solution to the merch. I already made its own, its own little episode on here for the um, you know people who subscribe to the podcast. It literally was just a one-minute advertisement of me talking about this. But we have new fucking merch now. We have the new shirt. It's in. It exists. I have, a, I have an article of it myself. It is like one of the softest shirts I've ever owned. The design came out great. And we did it through Teespring dot com you know and if you ever watch youtube or even the pod if you listen to any other podcasts i'm sure you hear people constantly all right guys make sure you like subscribe and follow check out my teespring store now i'm that same annoying douchebag that's telling you to check out my teespring store and the shirt comes in different colors you get to choose that's really cool i'm not even like shilling for them right now I'm like just such an old man with technology because this this <laughs> these kind of things have literally existed forever. But, but my per- but they're not all the same. My perception of these kind of stores where you just upload your design and they slap it on a blank garment. I thought cheap quality looks like crap. So I was like, I'm I'm still into the whole mom and pop thing. I still want to go to a local shirt screen printer. But man, after getting screwed so many times by these local guys, I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to give it a try. And you know what? I'm glad I did because I guess these sites have come a long way since my last perceived transaction with them. The shirts are, are super high quality. The prints are really good. Um, it's it's so easy to make mugs. And we have a, a face covering now to take advantage of people's fear with this pandemic. So I'm, I'm, fe- I'm making money off of uh, fear mongering. So that's a, that's good and capitalistic of me. Very American to do that. Prey on people's fears. Um, but yeah, go to our Teespring store. The link is in the description of this podcast. So you can just click on it. But if you would rather do it the hard way, it's uh, teespring.com slash stores slash UUM hyphen store. There's no way you'll remember That's that. very easy. So just go to the goddamn description in the podcast and please pick up a mug, pick up a shirt. Yeah, or, we, or a COVID a COVID proof uh, face mask. Yeah, it's got our logos on it. There's two different designs right now. There's the classic logo that is the thumbnail design that you would look at right now if you looked on your phone or whatever. 
the, the scary forest designed by Mr. Thomas Hatfield. And then there's also the cartoony one of me with a possum on my shoulder waving and Mike with his toe sticking out of his shoe. For those of you who may not know why that's happening, um, Mike would always give us unnecessary and unwanted updates on his ingrown toenail. So then I just kind of turned it into a running joke where I just asked him about it after he was done talking about it. It's like, no, Mike, how's your toe doing? We all want to know. And then it just kind of became a thing. And a possum lives under my bathtub. Um, and the possum and, still needs a name. Yeah, well, the gen- after... I'm not pushing for Percy. No, after after some discussion in the group, I think we're going to name the possum Kimmy. Uh, that, yeah, I think that it, it looks like it could be a Kimmy. Kimmy the possum. So the possum's <laughs> name is Kimmy now. And then uh, everyone found out last week that my uh, my Cuban tree frog is named Pongo. Pongo. I yeah. love him. I, I, I feel like, I don't know, like Pongo's a very important staple in this house. Stephanie's sick fuck ass <laughs> filmed. Okay, let, I, I will tell this story. I will tell this story. So we're uh, doing band stuff last week and I hear a very audible splat on Josh's window at night which always means Pongo is coming for a visit and sometimes Pongo just you know he likes to hang out on that window whatever so I see it and I was like wait a second oh my god this giant frog the size of my hand is posted up on this window taking the biggest shit I have ever seen I it was, I had to record it. So yeah, I invaded the frog's privacy. Because- she records <laughs> this frog taking a shit and, and he's on the window. So we have like the, the inside perspective. Like we have like the I best could, seats in the house for I this frog. I see the frog's anus. It I, was, it, what? This, this shit was like literally like, <laughs> it was only like five times smaller than a normal human shit, yeah, it, which in <laughs> amphibian world, Makes it ginormous. Because you think, like, frog shit, you think pellets. This thing, no, this thing was a log. It was, it was, and and, and that's where he likes to do that. Because he splats on my window at, like, 8 or 9 p.m. every night. And it is a splat sound. Yeah, and that's where he likes to shit. And then he splats away. Then Then he hops off to eat more frogs. Yeah, everyone says I need to kill the frog because the Cuban tree frog is, is an invasive species, technically, but I'm not killing Humans Pongo. are an invasive species. I'm not about to murderize poor Pongo. He didn't ask to be here. He just exists here. It's not his fault. Yeah, he, I mean, he's cute. I'm sure he eats bugs, too, because, oh, I mean, yeah. quite frankly, I think he's eaten all the frogs, the tr- the green tree frogs. <laughs> That, now he has to move on. Yeah, I, th- I think he has invaded. <laughs> and, and he's done exactly what they've warned me against. He's, he has actually consumed all the green tree frogs in my yard, and now I think maybe he's on to bugs. Yeah, my house still has some frogs, so... But, you know, I like I live at like an hour away, so my, my frogs are safe from the wrath of Pongo and son of Pongo. Yeah, there's a smaller Pongo that exists as well. All right, getting to this episode. This is episode number six, the case of... Um, Really, it's the disappearance of Lena Chapin, but I mean, pretty much everybody knows that it's the murder of Lena yeah. Chapin. She got dead. So uh, I'm going to take these first two paragraphs because the first one's kind of short, and then you can then you can uh, kind of short. Then you can move on with the uh, Lena was reported missing uh, paragraph there. Yeah, pissa. Hold on, I'm trying to find it. It looks different because he's looking at it on his computer, and I'm looking at it on my phone, and. Yeah, the second paragraph that it breaks into here is Brandy Recalled. 
All right, so anyway, Lena Chapin is the daughter of Sandy uh, Clamp, formerly Sandy McCullough, formerly Sandy <laughs> Chapin, formerly Sandy Peterson. Looking good already. Yes, very good. In 1999, Sandy's third husband, Gary McCullough, disappeared. In 2003, Lena told his brother Albert that Sandy had killed Gary and burned his body. Lena was snitching on her mother. Lena was forced to help dispose of his remains. She would later vanish on Valentine's Day 2006. Sandy claimed that she left with a boyfriend for Florida. However, she left her son Coulter and all of her belongings behind. Her sisters believed that she was murdered to keep her from telling the truth about Gary's disappearance. When Lena vanished, she was living in an apartment in Steelville, Missouri with her boyfriend Jason. One day, her sister, Robin Shoemake, showed up there and noticed that she was not there. Jason told her that she had taken off with a boyfriend to Florida. She did not believe that story. He then told her that Sandy had told him that. Robin <laughs> noticed that she had left all of her clothes, pictures, and photo albums behind. She also had left Coulter, her son, behind. Robin noticed that she had left all her... I already read that. Robin was certain that she would not do that because she loved her son, as many people would love their child. That's what you're supposed to do. She knew that Sandy had done something to Lena when she learned that she had taken Coulter in. Lena was reported missing to the police. Detective Rick Letchworth questioned her family members. They told him that her stuff had sat out on the back porch of the house until it got ruined. He did not believe that she would move to Florida and leave her beloved son and most of her possessions behind. He reached out to another of Lena's sisters, Brandy Peterson, to learn what happened on the day that she disappeared. She told him about their childhood and her theory on what she believed happened to Lena. Brandy recalled that she and her family were poor all of their lives and had to struggle for years. Sandy always worked and made sure that her children did not go without food. She was very straight-laced, never doing drugs or alcohol. Every night, she would tell her children, God bless you and love you. However, according to Brandy, that was only one part of her mom. The family included six daughters, Brandy, Lena, Robin, Jeanne, or Jean, I'm not sure, Rachel, and Rosie. Lena's sisters recalled that while growing up, she was more ornery and would take charge and tell them what to do. Despite their differences, they all got along and loved each other. Her friend Josh Delmain recalled that she was very bubbly, fun person with a positive attitude. He also recalled that she talked very fast and was very outspoken, always saying what was on her mind. Brandy recalled that she and Lena would get into fights. Lena was the one that always got into trouble. Robin recalled that they went through many hard days growing up. The hardest part for her was that they did not have a stable home life. They often moved to different places. She also recalled that Sandy met and became involved with many different men. And yeah, the, the segment made that very obvious. She was a hoe. Oh, God. Like if the last names didn't make it apparent. She's got <laughs> right. S- and six kids. And they're not even mentioning any of their fathers. So like in the in the segment. Um, but yeah, with she got involved with many different men, often leaving one for another. As a result, they were constantly moving from one boyfriend or spouse's home to another. That's some stable home life stuff, man. Uh, Brandy remembered that Sandy often used her quote-unquote sex appeal, which questionable, often, which is why men uh, often gravitated towards her. 
She never stayed with one particular man more than two years. She often went after married men or men with brothers because she would bounce from one brother to the other brother. (laughs) God, man. She almost sounds as bad as me. Uh, Almost, but you're not actually like, you just have entanglements. You know, you haven't like uh, you haven't like married. And yeah, have kids. I don't get I don't get emotionally so. involved with people. I just stick my pee pee in them. <laughs> that was disgusting. Uh, what a, what a lowbrow podcast this is, and this used to be just such a high class high affair. Class joint. Sandy's second husband was Albert McCullough. He had been divorced for a while when the two began dating. They married on November seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. He recalled that she was a good talker (laughs) and often told people what they wanted to hear. Yeah, I've known people like that. Um, Brandy recalled that Albert was a good stepfather to them. At the time, Sandy was going to school to become a nurse and was never home. As a result, Albert practically raised his stepchildren. Robin recalled that he was fun and laid back. He put them in gymnastics and aerobics and got them to play sports. He remembered being very close to them. According to Albert, the first two or three years of his marriage to Sandy were good. However, then she started fooling around with another man. At first, he did not know who the other man was. Then he learned that it was, in fact, his own brother, Gary. The brothers had a fistfight over Sandy, during which, when Albert had Gary pinned down, Sandy came from behind and hit him with a large stick, like straight out of the script of a WCW tag team match. <laughs> Get the stick! Hulk Hogan slides in and slaps him in the back of the in the back with a folding chair. Finally, he told Gary that he was done with her. He told him to stay away from her since she was nothing but trouble. Can I just make a little side note here? And this isn't the first time that this will be mentioned in here. Uh, the kids talk about how they had um, several good stepfathers who actually seemed attentive. And it's like, so Sandy's going. She's meeting these these country folk. And l- let me just say that everybody in this episode, they all look like they're from Missouri. It, it makes sense. But these kids are lucky that, the, that they ended up with good stepfathers despite all their mom's shenanigans because they could have gotten beaten, molested, any number of things. And that's a lot of times what happens in these situations. So, yeah, their home life wasn't stable, but at least they had that going for them. They had somebody that gave a shit. But I remember I, I used to hang out with my friend Jeremy, who lived down the street uh, from my parents' house. And uh, he had a stepdad. And the whole stepdad dynamic was so weird. Oh, like, yeah. Like, it, it's like it was clear that this guy was not Jeremy's father. Jeremy didn't really see him as his dad. It was more like... You know, this is my mom's husband, and and he, like, tried being, like, a dad to Jeremy and his sister, but you just, you really just did get, like, the sense that this was a uh, synthetic relationship, there was nothing, like, that felt, you know, a lot of, obviously, Mike has a stepdad that he's very close to. So, I mean, I'm not saying this for every situation, but. I had the stepdad situation as well. My, but, but, but Jeremy's mom was, you know, she dated not a lot of men, but she had, there were uh, quite a few stepdads in their lives, you know, in the time that they were together. And it, it always, it was always such a weird dynamic to have a role as intimate as a a parent just kind of come in and come out of kids lives like here's a new parent here's a new parent and it's just i that would i don't know man that would be that would be weird because like you're supposed to revere them and kind of 
sort of treat them like kind of as a parent, even though, you know, you both know that you're not, you know, like I didn't have you. You're not my real dad, you know, kind of situation. But not only that, but then you also think about the attachments that you, you know, the attachments and and subsequent trust issues that you would have after. Oh, we got relocated again. This is dad 5.0. Like. How attached are you going to allow yourself to become to people that are always going to leave you? Right. Like child psychology is really interesting to me. So like I just take a vested interest in looking at that stuff. And uh, yeah, this this whole all this shit that Sandy's doing. I wish all of her kids would have gotten taken from her from the get go because this is not a stable, good home environment. They're just fortunate they weren't beaten or molested. On May 22, 1996, Sandy and the children left Albert's home in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and moved into Gary's home in Cassville, Missouri. Yay. Um, from one brother's house to another. Well, this... At least they already called him uncle, so they just have to change the, the title. It's to fine. dad. Yeah. <laughs> On December 21st, they married. The children's lives changed with Gary. Uh, in their... <laughs> what <laughs> well, a weird whoa. sentence. Yeah, what I just said, I take it back. Uh, I didn't. I didn't say the last. Okay, so on the wikia here, it says the children's lives changed with Gary in them. And yeah, that could have been written a little bit better. Yeah, because uh, I think they have a lot bigger problems than the mom sleeping around a lot. Uh, with if this <laughs> sentence was taken literally. Um. So anyway. He put uh, he put them to work. Basically, their lives changed when Gary came into their lives. Not into not them. into the, <laughs> them. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, so anyway, uh, he, Gary synonymous was Jeffrey Epstein here. Uh, Gary uh, put them to work, having them cut wood and take care of the farm animals. Uh, Gary's friend Jeff Allen recalled that Gary gave each of the children their own chore on the farm. When they were finished with them, uh, he would take them into town to get ice cream. Again, when he was finished with them, can they stop being so pedo-y with the, how they write this? The next sentence is not better. Uh, he would get them ice cream. He enjoyed the children, and they enjoyed him. <laughs> God damn it, Unsolved Wiki. Who wrote this article? <laughs> they know what they did. They know what they did. Sandy and uh, the children lived with him for three years. Finally, a sentence that cannot be derived sexually in any way. Brandy recalled that he taught them very important life lessons. She said that she is uh, disciplined and does not have to depend on a man to do stuff for her, thanks to Gary. I respect that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's all, all <laughs> women should be. Uh, reporter Andrew Sheely investigated this case. He noted that Sandy has a pattern of behavior, jumping from one man to another. Once she has a man, she gets bored with him and moves on to the next one. Hey, I totally understand I have, that. I have seen that in that's action. That's how my dating life has always been, literally. This cycle occurred when she married uh, when she was married to Gary. At some point, she was no longer interested in him. In March 1999, she began an, aff- an affair with a man named Christopher Chris, nicknamed Clemp. Chris Clemp. All, all K's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in Missouri, after all. Yeah. Uh, he was much... Like, Florida has any right to talk. <laughs> uh, he was much younger than Gary and came from a family with a lot of money and property. Which is exactly a, exactly a thing a redneck in Missouri would find attractive. Oh, he's got a lot of land. You know, he, his family owns fifty acres in the Ozarks. You know, his tractor is uh, hydrogen powered and and you know titanium plated. That's hot. Gary was only diesel powered, and he only owned ten acres of land. Nah, you're better than that. You're worth at least twenty. 
And I think they were alluding to the fact that this Chris Klemp guy was like more attractive than Gary. And I'm like, oh, ain't, ain't no. none of these <laughs> like fucking in yeah. the same gene yeah. pool for the last five decades. White people ain't none of them no. good looking. Somebody, yeah, somebody on in the episode literally said uh, that some people, some some found him attractive. I was like, Who? yeah, that it, it, and I guess someone did, but uh, the vast majority would not. Then again, we never know, like in Missouri, we we don't know, like, the what, where's ru- the bar? The rubric for attraction could be he had all of his teeth, you know, like that was a turn on in, in Missouri. That'd be like going to the middle of Florida. Yeah, you're you're if you were if you went to Palatka, you're like, yeah, having all your teeth is a virtue and having a car. Oh, he also had, he attractive. Had full mouth of teeth. Well, shit. And that just made me sign me up. It made my insides quiver. Yeah, I, again, I love how I'm shitting on Missouri when literally I live in Florida. <laughs> um, that's how people who live in Missouri, that's why you guys aren't taking offense right now. I'm, I'm just assuming that you're not taking offense because... Uh, oh, yeah. you mean to tell me the people in Missouri have uh, Wi-Fi and they, they can do this? Okay now, yeah. Stephanie, you're really starting to get me in some hot water now. How are me and the Duke going to get out of this one? Um, anyway, eventually Gary discovered that Sandy was cheating on him. Jeff recalled that he was more hurt than mad. Aww. One day, Gary called his friend, attorney Richard Anderson, and told him about the affair. He also told him that he had been arrested for passing bad checks. He figured out that Sandy had passed those checks, and he was very upset about it. He told Richard that he was going to have to file for divorce. However, before he could do so, he vanished on May 11th, 1999. Oh you can take my. the next one if you want yes. to. Uh, Albert recalled that Gary was a hard worker who never missed work because he could not afford to miss it. I feel ya. Um, When he did not show up for work for several days, Albert knew something was wrong. Jeff also knew something was wrong and believed that he was dead. He told the sheriff that Gary had bought a gun, had brought a gun over to his house one day and told him to hide it because he believed Sandy was going to use it to kill him. I mean, that's pretty good reason to believe that he might not be alive. In fact, Gary said that she had stuck the gun into his belly and pulled the trigger. When Jeff looked in the gun, he found a shell in it. Gary told him that he had never kept it loaded because he was uh, when he wasn't using it. He realized that if it had been a good shell, she would have killed him. Brian Martin, investigator for the Barry County Sheriff's Office, was contacted by Gary's cousin, Robert, on May 13th. He was concerned because Gary had not been seen by anyone in the family in several days. Martin went to Gary's house to see if anyone was there. He noticed that one of Gary's cows was out, and in the segment, it was a really cute baby cow. Guys, just, you know, imagine that. That's important. It is. Um, While he and another investigator tried to put it back, Sandy and Lena pulled up and wanted to know what they were doing. What are you doing with my baby cow? Um, He asked Sandy if there was anything that she needed to tell him. (laughs) She told him that she'd been meaning to call the police and tell him that her husband had not been home for a few days um he's she said she was that he was going to diamond missouri to buy fighting roosters oh my god yep uh she then agreed to have to have him reported missing she's like yeah when i get to it i i guess it's you know it's a thing i should do the following week martin obtained a search warrant and went back to gary's house sandy was not happy that they were there they spent quite a bit of time there and made some startling discoveries They could not find any of his clothes in the house. In fact, he could not find anything to indicate that he was ever have that he ever had been even living there or was planning to come back. Sheriff Mick Epperly found a checkbook belonging to Chris Klimp. They then discovered that he was Sandy's boyfriend. After just two days of investigation, Chris moved into the house with Sandy. 
Investigators felt that this was strange, and as would I. Yeah. Um, soon after the investigation began, Epperly asked Sandy to take a polygraph. She looked him straight in the eye and said, you find a body and I'll take a polygraph. Yep. Now, you know. That's not weird. I, I'm not a, I'm not Dr. Phil, but uh, if, if I'm looking at red flags here, that's a fucking weird statement, man. That's not something an innocent person says. Yeah, that's it's it's a it's a tad, and, and it's and it's even something that someone who kind of knows a little bit about law and how law works, uh-huh. and and they know that if they they can't prove anything, if they can't find a body, it's like you did your fucking research, lady. Like I don't know, but obviously you can't take anyone to court over anything like that, so there's nothing they could do. But he knew that they were going to have to search very hard if they were ever going to find his body. He wanted to interview Sandy's children and ask them about what they had thought happened to Gary. Lena, then 13, was very hostile. It was clear that she was very close to Sandy and defensive of her. She was also antagonistic towards investigators. It was clear to them that Sandy ruled the house and Lena was the number two person. Robin remembered that Lena told her and their sisters to be quiet and, quote, mind your own business. She also told them to not talk about what happened when Gary went missing. Brandy said that Sandy had them lie for her for their entire lives. She remembered the day of his disappearance clearly. When the children got home from school, Sandy met them at the door. She told them that a cat had given birth <laughs> to two kittens in the field and asked her children to look for them. Go find, go find, yeah, no, no there's kittens out there. To definitely keep looking for kittens. There's kittens and a big man made of candy exploded <laughs> out in the field. There's candy everywhere. <laughs> All of the children went to look for them except Brandy because she had to milk the cows. She she told Sandy that she had to go inside to get her supplies for milking. After waiting a few minutes, she decided to go in. When she opened the door, she saw Sandy on her hands and knees. She was scrubbing the floor with what appeared to be bleach water. She had shorts on and her hair back in a ponytail. Brandy said that Sandy had never worn her hair in a ponytail before that. That's shady. That night, Sandy sat the children at the kitchen table and said, If anyone asks, Gary went to go buy a fighting rooster and you guys had spaghetti that night for dinner and you haven't seen him since. That's what the story is. If you say exactly what I'm telling you, everything will be fine. Very normal. I like the emphasis on spaghetti, I guess, because she's like, details matter. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, what'd you have for dinner? Oh, I had steak. Oh, well, the other one said you had, you know, yeah. fucking pork. Whatever. It was fucking taco night, you liar. Yeah. Asshole. Later that night, Sandy told Lena to make sure that none of the other children came out of the bedroom. Robin was certain that something was not right. She looked out of the bedroom window and saw Sandy and Chris struggling to pull and carry something big. (laughs) Yeah, this is not, uh, you know, this is not sketchy at all. She was certain that it was Gary's body wrapped up in a tarp or something similar. She could tell because she saw his boots sticking out. (laughs) A fucking child P.I. over here. A child prodigy, man. Um, she was too afraid to tell anyone about it for several years. She recalled that Lena kept telling them not to say anything or else they would be separated and put in different foster homes. After Gary went missing, Sandy, Chris, and the children moved from Cassville to St. Louis. After staying there for a year, they moved to S- Sligo. Sligo, yeah, these small that, towns that in That is how they names. pronounce it. It's weird. They moved to Sligo. That's a fun word to say. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Sligo. Do any of you guys know like what like what demographic settled out there first? Like, is that a Native American word? Like, how how did they come up with that name? I, I'm thinking that was I'm a red, curious. I'm thinking that was a redneck settlement. 
I, I don't know because like every everywhere in the U.S., you know, in Florida, we have a lot of Native American towns like Okafinoki and Hula Fabula. You know, they're all a bunch. That of, was really racist. That was fine. It's I'm from Florida, so it's not racist. Wow. <laughs> Can somebody please cancel Stephanie? <laughs> whole career anyway they moved to sligo in august of 2000 while in st louis sandy and chris married when they first arrived in sligo lena started working a couple different jobs and continued living with sandy and chris robin recalled that lena became more on edge and distant josh weird saying my own name recalled that there were two sides to her on the one side she planned to have a family and a nice house in the country on the other side she started partying drinking and taking drugs that would be the side that i would want to hang out with (laughs) he believed that there was something that caused her to do those things robin felt that lena had lost herself for a while uh she would catch herself staring off into space and could tell that she was thinking hard about something because she had tears in her eyes when robin would ask her if she was okay she would brush it off like nothing had happened Brandy remembered that Lena was very lonely. She believed that Lena had got to the point to where she needed to talk about something uh, she was holding inside of her. Ultimately, she confided her secret with her boyfriend, and he persuaded her to tell Gary's family the truth. She agreed to tell Albert what she knew because she was close to him. Yeah, and Albert, he seemed like a pretty genuine guy. He seemed like a good old boy. Yeah, yeah. Not meaning no one no harm. No, he seemed like that was, it was, I thought that was kind of endearing that she thought enough of him that she was like, hey, it's not just because it's his brother, but also because she felt like she could confide in him. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Albert could tell that something was not right with Lena, then 17. He knew something was eating at her and she needed to get it off her mind. On June 26, 2003, she met Albert at his home. He secretly began recording their conversation. But in in the episode, didn't he say he he told her they were recording or no? No. Okay. No, he, he was talking about his fancy new tape recorder that he got yes. and how he wanted to, you know, use it. And so he was, uh, you know, doing yeah. that. Um, he asked her who killed Gary. She told him that Sandy had killed him. In the recording, in the recording, she said, he was sitting on the couch eating scrambled eggs. That's the kind of life I want to live. She walked out and shot him three times in the head. Two, maybe three times. It was there on the couch, and she couldn't hack it until we got home. And then she wrapped him up with paper, um, plastic, plastic stuff, and, uh, hay, hay strings. And this bedroom, and, and this the bedroom floor. She dragged him to the bedroom. And then she locked the door and everything, and we got home. Mom made me stay in the bedroom. She didn't want me to see him, but I'd already seen him, because I looked through the door. I didn't believe it, and I wanted to see it. And she took him, and she put him in the truck, and she left. Albert knew that Lena was telling him the truth. He could tell that she needed to get it off her mind. He remembered that while she was talking, she was trembling and shaking. She wanted him to know what happened to Gary. Later in the recording, Albert said, I need something to verify Gary is gone. How would a person go about doing that? I mean, is there any way that that we could do that? She responded, there's nothing. There's nothing whatsoever. There isn't. He was burned, completely burned, and everything, everything that was, you know, left at at the burn pile was put into buckets and spread all over. So I don't remember where they're at. I was there. I'm the only one that knows. I'm the only one that knows exactly what happened. But there's nothing left. There's nothing. I burned my fingers. I burned the tips of my fingers picking up ashes and bones. I know this makes me sound like a bad person, but what was I supposed to do? He responded, you was a kid. 
doing what your mom told you to do. Albert believed that Sandy trusted Lena more than her other daughters. However, he believed that she told him the truth because she knew what was happening to Gary was wrong. When Albert recorded the tape, Gary's friend Richard figured out that it was direct proof from somebody who knew what happened to Gary. He called the sheriff and had him pick up the recording. Epperly figured that with the confession, they would now have strong a strong enough case. However, the next day, Sandy got a lawyer for Lena after she found out about the confession. The lawyer convinced Rena to recant her confession, making it difficult to be used as proof in the case. Investigators and Gary's loved ones were upset by the setback. For years, Brandy struggled. For years, not four years, like the number. For years, Brandy struggled for- with Brandy struggled with the thought that Sandy might have killed Gary. Then one day, she was with Lena when Lena opened up to her. She told her the story about how Sandy killed Gary and how she helped dispose of his remains. The next day, Brandy got into a fight with Sandy. She threatened her, saying that if she was going to call the police and tell them what uh, she did, that she was going to call the police and tell them what she did. Well, I'm getting hungry, guys. You have to excuse me. I want spaghetti. Sandy had her get into the truck with her and Chris. This is where shit gets real, guys. Mm-hmm. It was the middle of the night at the time. After driving for several minutes, Chris stopped the truck, got out, and pointed a gun at Brandy's head. Very normal. She jumped out of the truck in fear and began screaming for Sandy, her mother. Although Brandy could clearly see Sandy, Sandy never looked at her. Fearing for her life and not knowing where she was, Brandy ran into the passenger side of the door and opened it. She jumped into Sandy's lap and begged her not to let Chris hurt her or kill her, essentially. Finally, Sandy told Chris not to hurt her. He then put down the gun and got back into the truck. They then drove back home. Before that night, she never thought that Sandy would hurt anyone. After that, she knew that she could not say anything because she did not want to risk her life. Lena did the same thing. After she made the confession, she never said anything about Gary's disappearance again. How fucking crazy was this segment? This crazy-ass bitch is threatening her kids with her redneck-ass boyfriend doing all the dirty work, basically going, if you talk, I'll kill you. I don't care if you're my kid. This lady is a sociopath. Like, she has no attachment to these kids. It's it's rare that we see killer women, but Mm -hmm. when we do, they tend to be these completely calculating, cold-as-ice sociopaths. We saw it in the Marie Hilly segment, they just system, you know, Marie Hilly, who systematically killed half of her family just so she could get the life insurance. And life meant nothing to her. Her own self-interest and her own self-preservation was all that mattered. And we see the same thing with Sandy. It's very interesting stu- study- studying the differences in female sociopaths versus male sociopaths. Uh, because men seem to have a different M.O. in how they kind of conduct their murderous behavior. Oh, yeah. I've I've studied a lot of, like, old, old-timey murders, you know, from, like, 100 years ago. And the women cases are a lot of times very much more interesting than the men because they are calcul- calculated. They've Calculating. Got, they've got, you know, the arsenic don't and the, you know. the, slow, the slow poison, don't you know? And, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of crazy calculated maneuvers and that's exactly you know this this woman has thought a lot about this you know she's like well you're not going to be snitching if you're dead Um, fyi uh you can't have any evidence that you're even dead because nobody will find you yeah crazy crazy psychotic woman 
A few months after Lena's confession on November 3rd, 2003, she gave birth to her son, Coulter. At that point, he was her priority. She no longer wanted to talk about what happened to Gary. Instead, she focused on providing for her son. She started working several jobs, and Sandy uh, would watch Coulter while she was at work. She decided that she was going to settle down and raise her child. For a few years, everything seemed to be going well for her. By 2006, she was planning to get married and become financially independent of Sandy. <clears throat> However, this was apparently the greatest threat to Sandy because it meant that Lena could finally tell what she knows again. As a result, there was rising tension between them. This hit a peak when a lawsuit was filed. Richard noted that it had become clear that a criminal case was probably never going to be filed in Gary's death. As a result, he decided to file a civil case for the McCullough family. They felt that it was the only way for Sandy and Chris to be held accountable. They alleged that Sandy and Chris caused the wrongful death of Gary. They also stated that Lena was an accessory, conspiring and helping to get rid of the body. Richard hoped that Lena would get immunity for her own actions in exchange for providing testimony against Sandy and Chris. Not to mention she was 13 at the time. I mean, that should count for a lot. However, it did not work out that way. Oh, am I allowed to take over now? Yes. Um, When Gary's daughters filed the civil lawsuit on June 26, 2006, Dent County deputies delivered the court summons. They located Sandy and Chris but could not find Lena. They asked Sandy about Lena's whereabouts. She claimed that Lena had run off to Florida with some guy back in February. When Brandy heard this story, she could not believe it because she knew that Lena did not know anyone from Florida. And, you know, like, you would know we're from Florida. Uh, Sandy also told them that Lena had said bad things about them and did not want anything to do with them anymore. Brandy decided to wait and see if she would come back, but that never happened. When Albert learned that Lena was missing, he was certain that Sandy had done something to her. He believed that she killed Lena because she could have sent her to prison with her testimony. Robin told police that she felt the same way. She was certain that Sandy had done something. She posted a missing persons flyers um, of Lena around Salem. Later, she learned that Sandy paid another one of her daughters $5 apiece to take the flyers down. Robin called Sandy and told her that she knew she killed Lena and she was determined to put her in prison for what she had done. Brandy told investigators that the reason Lena went missing was because of her confession tape. She believed that Sandy killed her to keep her from testifying in the civil trial. She also believed that Sandy wanted Lena's son, Coulter. Detective Letchworth believed that Sandy had two motives for killing uh, for the for the making of uh, for making Lena disappear. Lena's firsthand knowledge of Gary's disappearance and her son Coulter, whom Sandy desperately wanted. Sandy even reportedly made Coulter call her mom. According to Robin, when Sandy found out that Coulter was a boy, she became very possessive and obsessive. She tried taking over control of Coulter because she always wanted a boy. In her mind, she was Coulter's mom. Brandy believed that Sandy knew that if Lena went missing, she would get rights to Coulter. What hap- uh, when that happened, Sandy filed for abandonment charges. Lena was not there to defend herself, so the court decided that she had indeed abandoned her child. In the end, Sandy received custody of Coulter. Yeah, because they talked about the fact that, you know, she had six girls and she always wanted a boy. And here's this, you know, little, little uh, baby boy ready for the taking that she's already watching, you know, so it makes sense. Yeah, hopefully that boy never does anything to upset her. I know. Jesus Christ. In July 2013, Judge Carwoods heard the wrongful death lawsuit brought against Sandy and Chris for Gary's murder. Lena's confession tape was not allowed to be used as evidence. 
ostensibly because it was just hearsay and not like but that then again it is kind of a confession i don't know why they i don't know why court rules are weird judges do stupid shit like that stuff that would like it's like oh well it would it would sway the jury yeah well because because it's the truth it's the truth you know or i don't know maybe maybe the maybe it's like well she could have just made that up and we need to we need to count on hard facts here and not just confessions. Like, do, yeah, even though confessions definitely are affected. They hold do wa- any of you guys know? Like, cause they, I, I they, they do hold water, but I do feel like they also could, if they turn, because, you know, what happens a lot of times is like prisoners will confess something mm-hmm. um, and then come to find out that they lied. The confession was mm-hmm. totally made up and they were paid in like little Debbies or whatever. It was to for- like spice things up. They Like for their commissary, you know, because that, that <laughs> shit has a lot more value in prison. Um but yeah, so the I confession. Paid in little debbies. I just hit her. It's <laughs> not true. You can't prove that. Just like these tapes. Uh, at the trial, the jury saw Sandy's children take the stand and implicate her in a murder plot. Brandy's testimony was particularly powerful. By the time of the trial, she was fully independent of Sandy. For two hours, she testified about how Sandy and Chris had pulled a gun on her. She felt good about her testimony because she believed it would give Gary's family some peace. A friend of Albert's watched the trial and noticed during Brandy's testimony that some of the jurors had tears in their eyes. Ultimately, the result of the trial was that Chris and Sandy were found liable of knowingly taking the life of Gary McCullough. They were ordered to pay $7 million to Gary's daughters. The family has yet to receive any compensation because it's just a bullshit civil trial and civil trials mean dog dick. So another thing I've always been curious about when you hear these astronomical things. So it's like, yeah, you're guilty enough to have to pay this ridiculous sum of money. You didn't have seven million dollars to begin with. Where do people come up with these funds? Like, I I know that they didn't. But like in the in, in the event that they did, how does all that work? Like, I legitimately don't know. Basically, when whenever. In a civil suit, when somebody rules in your favor and, you know, such and such owes you however much money, uh, all that does is it basically, it basically it gives you a license to hunt. It gives you a, a license to hunt that person down and Harass them go, go through the process of, you know, wage garnishments, levies, um, liens, all that kind of stuff that all, all those legal channels you can use to to get to squeeze money out of someone. But, you know, you, you, it's a lot of work. You can't squeeze blood out of a stone. And it sometimes, you know, so say in like the OJ Simpson trial, he was found innocent in the criminal case, but he was found guilty in the civil trial. So the family of, um, what's his name? Uh, the, the, the dude, the guy who was murdered, um, not, I, I You're to not going to know that. I name. wanted to say You're Card- not be Well, I almost, I almost said Kardashian. I was like, no, that's not right. It was um, Nicole Simpson and. Oh, God. I just watched something about that not too long ago. OJ Simpson murder victims. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very. Um, Ron Goldman. Ron yeah. Goldman's family was able to go after OJ, and when he released that stupid book, If I oh, Did It, uh, they, they got all the sales from that. So that's like an example of how, you know, they were able to whatever. So anyway, um, $7 million to Gary's daughters. The family has yet to receive any compensation. The couple divorced in 2014. Sandy has since remarried. Yeah, Surprise, surprise. And still has custody of Coulter. Brandy has not seen him since he was five. 
He was homeschooled for several years because Sandy did not want him to go to school and find out the truth about Lena. No shit. However, when he is old enough, Brandy and her sisters plan to tell him the truth. Wouldn't that be funny? You're like, like you know, like six or seven years old, and that's like the gossip around the elementary school. Your mom's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom got killed. Like, you know, I feel like kids are more likely to... I, I don't know what kids talk about nowadays. I don't have a clue. I remember when I was in first grade, kids were already saying fuck and flicking people <laughs> off and shit. But that was public school. That oh, was, I was like, I thought you went to mostly yeah, that private. Yeah, was, that was before I went to private school. Yeah. yeah, those kids were little shits in the making. I was primarily a public school victim. I had just two random years at a private school. It was like kindergarten and sixth grade. But the rest of it, I was a school bus kid. God, there was, there was some traumatized traumatizing things from public school. <laughs> You're a school bus kid, 10 million strong and growing. Oh, wow. That was douchey. <laughs> um, and that's another thing that, you know, uh, redneck Chris Kemp and uh, Sandy got divorced in 2014. I'm thinking to myself, well, that's if dangerous. he was if he was complicit in anything, that, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be divorcing someone who knows my no dark, dark secrets and i thought about that but at the same time if they come forward they're also implicating themselves that's true so it's like now you better keep your lips shut okay yeah it's kind of like a an agreement mutual I guess. fuckery yeah because it'll fuck both of us but if you're comfortable fucking yourself then you could fuck them this is getting sexual it's hot Brandy is upset that Sandy is raising culture instead of Lena. I mean, as anyone should be. I want a ghost parent. She plans to do everything in her power to find Lena and get justice for her. It is known that Chris and Sandy had access to two properties, a Sligo property and an 80-acre ranch north of Salem. Brandy and Robin were given permission by the current owners to search the farms where Sandy and Chris once lived. Sandy and Chris lived at the Sligo property when Lena disappeared. Brandy knows that her mother is not stupid. She believes that wherever Lena is located, it's going to be difficult to get to. She recalls that there was a well on the property with stones lining up on the sides. However, it's not there anymore. She believes that Sandy filled it in before they moved. Yeah, of course she would. If you burned someone's fucking remains in there, yeah, I mean, she's... You would have to not be stupid to do something like that. Yeah. Um, some of the peop- uh, fans of the show were pointing out that you could see like an area when they did like an kind of an overhead drone shot of the property. They said that an area was visible where something had been filled in. I didn't really see it when I was watching the show, but that's kind of something I've been hearing. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, a couple months after Lena's disappearance, Sandy moved to the Salem property Robin recalled a conversation she had with Sandy while they were on the property. Sandy pointed out four trees in front of the house saying that she had buried her dog there. Robin thought that that was weird because Sandy had previously said that they buried the dog at the old house before they moved. She wondered if it were, if, if Lena may have been buried next to those trees. Detective Letchworth had a ground-penetrating radar device brought in to search the area next to the trees that Sandy had mentioned to Robin. They had hoped that the device would detect that something was buried in that area. However, after a day of searching, no remains were located. Brandy and Robin still hope that Lena will one day be found. I think they should use that thing to find the well. Like, it's weird that they only searched the area with the four trees. They didn't use that device on that other property, because I think that is a huge... <clears throat> Maybe uh, it was set up to... I don't, yeah, I don't know. I For mean, something as big as a well, even if you filled it in, that would find Yeah, it. that's a good point. I mean, they could have done that. They sh- They probably should have. Maybe there was some... Maybe the the owners didn't want that. Oh yeah, you possible. can you can walk around, but you know if you're bringing cops here and ground penetrating, no no no, you're not doing that. Possible. 
you know, so Sandy Klemp is a suspect, obviously, um, of murdering Lena and Gary. Um, and it's unsolved. And, uh, yeah, like, it's funny because only a couple of the sisters are the interviewees in this. And so, you know, at that point, the other ones, they might not have necessarily helped commit the crimes, but they're not doing anything to offset it. They're not involved <clears throat> They are totally, I guess, complicit with whatever kind of shady shit their mom is up to. And they're, in all likelihood, just as messed up as she is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's clear that the mom did it and yes. her dumbass fucking boyfriend helped because, you know, he did it all for the nookie, the nookie, the nookie. So you it can take that shit. can't be that good, cookie. but she keeps fucking I up all these know, people, man. so you I don't got, know. She like, got all these guys, man. I, man it might be pretty good. I, I want to believe it's because they're, they're simple folk. But I, I, I'm not sure. Like her, her patterns. Wow, are she so... sure is pretty. I'd be willing to murder someone and cover up their <laughs> remains for her. I, I don't know. Like it's, it's insane to me. Because I mean, obviously, in this instance, the guys aren't the ones that are sitting here uh, concocting these ideas. But this guy seemed to be perfectly fine with it. So I don't know. Well, that was that one. Like I said, that was a strong one to go out on. I thought it was a really good case. Um, it was pretty goddamn cut and dry that the mom had something to do with, uh, you know, Lena's probably dead. I am sure she would have emerged at this point, especially since she's featured on a Netflix show. Um, you know, I just hope that Sandy serves her time and Coulter gets to live with uh, Brandy, you know, or one it, of the other sisters. It does say here that as a result of the broadcast, several tips came in about Lena's case. However, it remains unsolved. Yeah, but, tips always come in after shows air. I mean, on, like, that doesn't mean that nothing will come of it, and that's that's kind of... Yeah, that's good. good. I mean, tips literally all... After they do any episode, yeah. tips, even in the old series, people would come in, but the usefulness is... It's, yeah, it's you, you, gotta, you gotta dig through you a get, lot of Yeah, garbage. you get a hundred tips, and maybe two will be useful. You know, that's kind of how that goes. All right, so we're going to wrap this up with the perks of being a Josh Flower. For those of you who are just tuning in, when I was age 14 to 24, I wrote on an online journal called Zanga, um, and I discovered these these archived diaries a, a few months ago, and I've been reading them on the podcast, um, and that's really all there is to it. So um, here's an entry from... Saturday, October 30th, 2004, I would have been, let me see, I was born in 88, I'm trying to do the math here real quick, 2000 would have been 12, so I I would have been, I guess, 16 or 15, I think I was 15. All right, so here goes. Okay, I guess I owe you people some kind of update, Um, had a concert last night, it went really well, I got to dance in the pit. Almost got my butt handed to me. <laughs> you are so cool. Haven't shitted in like three days. Kind of concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still that way, folks. No, I shit much regular, much more regularly now. <laughs> Going over to the grandparents' house to help them out, but now I will probably go whack off. See ya. <laughs> now, okay, my life hasn't changed a lot in that regard. The, 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 it's good to know that you were always that blunt. Yes. Um... What is this? All right, here we go. Now we go to Friday. Okay, so what is this? October 30th. Okay, so now we're Friday, November 5th, 2004. Update. I am going out with Casey. I won't say her last name for privacy. I am going out with Casey H, I'll say. 
I'm so happy. Now, for you paying attention, I had mentioned Casey in my previous post of the Josh Flower Diaries. And uh, yeah, I really liked that girl a lot. Um, Like she was like the first chick I was ever really, really into. Um, And you'll be hearing a lot more about her. But this is when we very first started dating. So Um, I'm going out with KCH. I'm so happy. She's so awesome. She's everything to me. I'm so lucky and happy. I love her. Why the fuck do you care? You're right. When you read these, you are looking for drama. And all I'm doing is telling you about how my life is going good and yours isn't. Well, I played a show at this church the second of the month and it sucked. <laughs> God damn it. That is, I need Mike here to laugh, laugh at this at this pain. Number one, the church was too small. Two, base equipment sounded like crap for some reason. Three, small crowd. Four, no one danced. Five, sh- five short set. We only played like four songs. We, dil- we did sell 20 shirts, though. Holy shit, that's a lot of shirts. That is a lot of shirts, but man, you were a complainy fuck. Oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no shit on that one. I mean, that's <laughs> nothing new to anyone who's been keeping up with these. Plus, uh, though, plus the money that they were paying us to play that night. So we made $400. It was at a fucking church. Wait, Jesus. we sold twenty shirts and we made only made four hundred dollars. Cheap ass shirts. Yeah, it must have been like ten bucks a pop. Uh, it was pretty nice. I'm having funny masturbation patterns now. <laughs> I can't get it up to the thought of a chick. <gasps> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Why are you putting this out in public, dude? What? Co- it all makes so much sense. Oh my god! Why was I writing this for anyone to see? I would <gasps> see this. Just goes, dude. This just. Okay, some context here. This was 2004. YouTube didn't even exist yet. The internet was in a much more infantile spot. I graduated from high school in 2004. This, this was a time when you could write stuff on the internet, and, and you weren't really that concerned so with people 16, seeing it. Roughly. About 15, 16. You're three years older than me. Yeah. So I would have been 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't get it up to the thought of a chick. Kind of concerned. I think I have burned myself out on mental masturbation. Already. I always think of the same scenarios. I need new situations. I guess I wasn't watching porn that much at this point. I guess not. You were just trying to yeah, just envision it. Um, I want to do something tonight, but that's not going to happen, I don't think. I have lost seven pounds. That's about it. Oh, and Lisa, I want to ask you something. Does your entire life revolve around Crystal and Thomas? Because that's all y'all you ever talk about. See ya. Yeah, so the chick Lisa, who I slam relentlessly, even though she was nice and helpful to me, but I couldn't see it back then. Uh, her, she was dating this dude named, Tom, named Thomas. She, she didn't her. want to touch your pee-pee, and that's not okay, I guess. I don't know. All right, so, yeah. So I think the thought, the um, me not being able to get it up to chicks anymore <laughs> is a good place to end on with this podcast i'm fucking starving right now we want to check out this new italian restaurant in town i'm gonna get spaghetti and probably not commit murder um, um anyway but- if you want to join our facebook group you can do so by going to facebook.com going to the group section and typing in uncovering unexplained mysteries you should you should totally join our group um please for the love of god buy some merch uh i need the money right now uh, the Teespring link to our shirts is in the description of this podcast. And finally, if you want to check out me and Mike on YouTube, you can check out Mike's YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does movie reviews and uh, he is the missing host today. So I can't tell you what the last video he did because he's not here. 
He is in absentia right now. Uh, if you want to check out our YouTube channel, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. It's primarily me making videos on there, but there are music videos, dancing with ghosts music videos. Very good stuff. And good music. Food taste test things. Too. Yes, with Stephanie, if you want more of me and Stephanie, there's some taste test videos on there that are more off the cuff and they're quite humorous, if I do say so myself. Um, and finally, please check out our live stream on Saturday, August 29th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes. We will be doing our songs. We will be doing a Q&A. We will be interacting with you in the chat. So make sure you check that out. And I think that's about it. Check out Spot uh, Dancing with Ghosts on Spotify or anywhere else that you stream music. Until next week, folks, have a good rest of your night. Thanks for having me, guys, and thanks for keeping, you know, not, not throwing stones at me. Bye. Bye. Bye.